You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's doing well on this Wednesday. Hope everybody's staying safe out there on this Wednesday afternoon. Stay dry. Make sure you've got a plan and make sure you're dug in for when some weather comes sweeping through Alabama. Obviously, our Fox Sports Central Alabama listeners out there, hope you're doing well, hope you're staying safe. And then right here on the Plains where our studio is located here in Auburn at the moment, not raining, but uh, we're on the, you know, it's coming to us later, right? So make sure that you stay safe and make sure you stay prepared. Levi, how you doing today, my man? Doing well, doing really well. I'm noticing that there's no green being worn in the studio by you and Sting. So next time y'all are in the middle of saying anything, I'm just going to get up and come pinch both of y'all. I will karate chop you, but also... You're going to be in the middle of a spicy take and you're just going to see the headphones come off and I'm going to be sneaking <laughs> over there like a ninja to get you. Well, I've got these Pringles sour cream and onion chips over here. That's green. I mean, they're green. That's the, that's the new uh, branding that the Pringles have too. The, the nice and new uh, branding that they've trotted out there. I didn't even notice. I just grabbed these off the shelf. Sour cream, tied me over. Sour cream and onion Pringles, though, S-tier. They're definitely, they're definitely up there in the S-tier Pringles flavors. 100%. If I, if, if I had a chip that, like, it, I, I, it, like this is the go-to. This oh, is yeah, the go-to but sour cream and onion Pringles are just absolutely go-to. <laughs> they're never going to be, like, they are just absolute top-tier chips, in my opinion. The number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you, not just about your favorite chip selection, but also what's on your mind, Auburn sports related, or just you know anything going on in the sports world. We want to hear from you. Be sure to call in, 334-321-1390. We are taking your phone calls all day long here on On the Line 2 to 4 p.m. here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama it's time for our A-Day depth chart series. We've started doing these on Wednesdays. It just kind of feels natural now, and we've we've come all the way across the entire offense. We're to the last position group on the offensive side of the ball. We've done quarterbacks. We've done running backs. We've done wide receivers. We've done tight ends. And now we are to the big guys up front, the big meanies, the big uglies, the offensive line is what we'll be breaking down today in our opinions on what the offensive line depth chart looks like going into the spring. Once again, a disclaimer that I like to bring up when we do our A-Day depth chart series. This is what we are predicting for the spring, what we think the depth chart looks like going into the spring. Obviously, that does not include guys who are not on campus yet, freshmen, recent recruits that signed in this previous 2021 recruiting class. Those guys aren't going to be included on this list if they didn't enroll. Also, We're not going like three or four positions deep because does that really matter? We're going with the relevant guys. And also this can change going into the summer based on what we see on A-Day. You know, some guy could emerge throughout spring practice that Coach Harson really likes or some of these coordinators really like, and they could storm the top of the depth chart and then things could look dramatically different 
going into the summer. So all of this is subject to change. We will do this series again when it gets to summertime after we've gone through the spring and we've gotten to see what it looks like after A-Day. And we are barreling towards April 17th, which is basically that that is one position group a week that we're looking at all the way up till A-Day on April 17th. Alabama actually also announced today that their A-Day game will be played on April 17th as well which is not a big shocker most teams in the Southeastern Conference a lot of teams in the Southeastern Conference will probably be playing their A-Day games on that on that April 17th that's Saturday yeah I mean it's inching closer and closer to us it's getting so close to us and I want to you know highlight this as well I think a lot of these guys are going to end up rotating in and out I don't I think what we see in A-Day at least from the line perspective it's not a finished product. These position battles are going to continue into the fall. And think, that's obvious. I think this one and receiver are the big two. I think most of the like a lot of the other ones you can see a little bit more Receiver because of injuries. Yeah. Offensive line to a degree because of injuries, because you're also dealing with Brandon Council being out. He was one of he was the only offensive lineman listed as out. But then there are previous guys over the last couple of years, or I should say guys over the last couple of years who have been previously injured, like Zaire. And then Troxel's dealt with a lot of injuries. Those guys haven't been able to get on the field at all, really, for Auburn. And they have, what we've heard, they have a lot of potential to be able to move up the depth chart. And so there's some surprise guys that we haven't really seen that might supersede, might surpass a returning starter on the depth chart. I don't think there are too many locked-in positions on this offensive line We'll get into them. I've got two that are deadlocks. I, I, I think we have the same two that are deadlocks. You want to go ahead and talk about those? I think we can go ahead and hit on the same ones, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I want to look at this position by position, actually. Mm-hmm. And let's take go a look at center it. position first, and that's what so that's we'll one, talk about this segment. Well, that's one of them. <laughs> that is one of them. Nick Brahms, I think, is a lock at center. And it's not about Nick Brahms being a great center or a top half in the league's uh, top half SEC center. It's not about him being an exceptional piece at the center position it is more about the fact that Auburn doesn't have any anyone else who can play the position at the moment yeah and that's why I think he's locked into that center position because there's not another guy that on the roster that just at least jumps that's out. not ready yeah that's not ready for SEC play and at least in, you know there's there's somebody there's other guys who could play it but I don't think that any of them could play at the level that Nick Brahms can play and I'm not saying that he's a world beater I'm not saying that he's you know like you said top you know top half of the SEC centers but he's the, he's the guy that's going to be the most ready, the most experienced and is going to give Auburn in my opinion the best option at the center position. And a big part of that's the experience that he brings to the table. Mm-hmm. He's been playing the center position in a starting role for the past one and a half seasons. He shared the starting center position 2 years ago with Caleb Kim and that's where I go back to the center position has been bad at Auburn for the last three, four years. And Auburn hasn't figured it out. I'd say going all the way back to 2018, the center position has been pretty bad for Auburn. Maybe even all the way. I think it was a good position in 2017. Auburn Auburn did fine in 2017 at center. 2018 was where the center position took a major step back. It wasn't and good Auburn in- hasn't recovered at that position. I think a lot of the offensive line's issues have stemmed from having a weak center. That's the most important position on your offensive line aside from left tackle because we've all seen the blind yeah. side and protecting your quarterback's blind side, blah, 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 blah. But look, the center position at the end of the day, he's the one taking your checks. He's the one calling the audibles and, and switching your protections. He's the one who is making sure the communication is solid 
in the interior across to the outside he's making sure that everything is firing on all cylinders with the offensive line he's he should be the leader on your offensive line he, he's the most vocal guy he is the general of that o-line and if you don't have a solid center the offensive line will crumble from the inside out and i think we've seen that over the last couple of years could you say he's a field general on the field that's fair. You said that. A, yeah, you said that a couple of days ago. But no, he is. He's the leader of it, like how we talk about the linebackers, the leader of the defense, the quarterback, typically the leader of the offense, the center. That's the guy who leads the offensive line. If you're going, you know, even more. And in a zone in blocking scheme, it's really important for inside zone because that center is oftentimes the guy who disengages and goes to take out the linebacker. And if your center is not doing that effectively, if your center is not going and taking out the linebacker on the play then you've got some issues because that linebacker is going to fill a gap and what could have been a six seven yard run ends up only being a two or three yard run because the linebacker fills the gap and Auburn's been struggling with that the last couple of years so this is not this is not turning into I hate the center position this is not becoming a I hate Auburn center segment you know like I don't want that to be the case but I think Nick Brahms has the potential to be a good center in this league mainly because he's finally getting to be an upperclassman and it's like you've been playing long enough you might as well you know your development might as well take off by now because of the loads of experience that you've already gathered at that starting position but it definitely has been underwhelming and it's a key position for Auburn because it's it's the glue that's holding both sides of the line together I'm not saying that I hate Auburn centers but I am saying that I've been conditionally burned by the 2014 Texas A&M game on that Auburn final centers drive. were great back then, though. Don't don't come at me with that. They have they I have a list that I call the pantheon of just miserable football plays, and that snap. Sure, but Dismu- is up there. Dismukes is still one of the best centers to have played at Auburn in recent memory. Well, he should have done that then. He if he was one of the best ones, he wouldn't have done that. Let's think about that. Fair, and that should live in the quote pantheon of you know, we'll, terrible plays. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that list here in the summer. The pantheon of terrible college plays. You just wait for that one. And, and that may have been there, but you still cannot deny that Reese Dismukes is one of the best centers to have played at Auburn. I mean, I can't recently. deny it. I can't deny that. And, he's and been so one that of the play should not have happened. You are right, but I'm not gonna go so far as to say that the guy made a mistake in a football game. Cost him the game. It did cost him the game, cost and him I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to relive that because the A and M game in 2014 was the beginning of the end as we know it for <laughs> Auburn football. That's what I'm with that. I'm just using that as the example of why I'm conditionally led to not trust the center position at Auburn. That's you know one of the microcosms that come from that, and then like you noted, it hasn't been good the past what three, four years maybe. So Auburn was fine in 2017. 2016 2017 I liked it at that point 2015 obviously was a lean year for every position on the football team but I felt like in 16 and 17 the offensive line got better each year and I felt like it was a good offensive line for the most part due to versatility I mean you had some you had some studs that are playing at the next level right now like um like Braden Smith playing for the for the Colts I mean you had some you had some big time dudes on those lines Prince Seguinogo was still young at that time but he at least you know got drafted so there was there were some good players on that line. But what, what was that? What did you just mouth? How? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, he's not on a team at the moment. But backup center position here for me. I'm going with Jalil Irvin. I pretty much took the depth chart that Auburn had going into last season at the center position, or really all of last season. And I said, that's going to be the depth chart at the center position this year. It's not publicized enough. We talk about the tackle position being a shortcoming for Auburn on the recruiting front. The center position as well. Jalil Irvin wasn't even recruited as a center at Auburn. It's hard to find centers. I mean, it's just hard to find them. Didn't we? Uh, no, it's not. 
It's hard. It's to, hard to find like four star centers. Fine because they're not they're not as what, many, but there are still centers out there that you can recruit. That's what Harvard I was, just hasn't recruited the position. That's what I meant. I mean, it's hard to find good centers. It's hard to find them because they typically don't even get four star. Like if you have a four star center, you're set. You know, out of the recruiting landscape, you're thinking this dude's a baller because typically they don't pass that three star threshold. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with Jalil Irvin as well, just because that's it's not what, his natural position. He still needs some experience to grow into it. He'll probably end up being the starter at center in, a, in you know a year or two when Nick Brahms is out of the program, but he's not ready yet. Nick Brahms, with all of that experience, definitely gives him a substantial leg up on any type of competition. And so that's why when we entered this segment, we said the center position, I feel like it's locked down going into the spring. It's probably the least contested position on the entire offensive line right now. Oh, I 100% agree with that. I don't think it's even close that that's the least contested position, unless unless we are seeing just... Whereas there are major whole-scale position battles taking place both at guard and at tackle. Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at some of the other line positions and think not as safe. But I, I, the center position, that's a lock for me, simply for the fact that there's not another guy challenging Nick Brahms. And that's not a knock on Nick Brahms, it's just... There's not a guy who naturally plays center who you feel comfortable putting out there. At least with Nate Brahms, you know what you're getting. You know you're getting some sort of veteran leadership. You know you're getting experience. And he could probably improve you know, off of what he did last year as well. I don't think Jaleel Irvin's going to push him that hard. I could be wrong on that. I mean, Jaleel Irvin could come in and just absolutely crush it. Playing out of his position just does not seem very likely that something like that would happen. Number to call in, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Coming up later on in the show, we'll have Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn joining us. He'll give us his thoughts on the offensive line. On the other side of this break, we'll talk about what Auburn baseball did yesterday, who stepped up at the plate, who stepped up on the mound. We've got more coming up of On the Line. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Whatever's on your mind, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on Auburn's offensive line going into next football season? You think anybody's going to emerge throughout spring that may get on the offensive line that that wasn't a starter last year? We want to hear from you. Once again, phone number to call, 334-321-1390. 1390 we'll continue that 8 day depth chart series later on in the show in our next segment we'll have zach blackerby of locked on auburn joining us we'll take a listen to that conversation that i had pre-recorded with him earlier today he'll uh, we, we talk about the offensive line for a lot of it and he's got some very interesting thoughts that later on in the show i'll probably jump out on that limb with him when i talk about this depth chart he brings some interesting information that I would say I have not heard from from a lot of people. I like his takes here because uh, they are, I wouldn't say they're coming out of left field, but I'd say they they are different. And when you're talking about the O-line, I think it's pretty easy to say that there are probably going to be some deferring takes when you talk about who's going to emerge. And he likes some of the Juco guys. So we'll we'll get some uh, interesting takes from Zach about the offensive line on, uh, on the other side of this break when we get to it in about 10 minutes. 
I mean, that's that's good. That's some hot takes. I'm ready to hear some of that. I haven't got to listen to it yet myself, so I'm going to listen to that along with everybody else and hear what Zach has to say about the line as well. Auburn baseball taking down Lipscomb yesterday in Nashville, nine to seven. Auburn advancing to eleven and five. Lipscomb falling to five and six. This is a big win for Auburn. It did not come easy. Auburn had four home runs in the victory. That's a big reason why the press release that Auburn baseball sent out was long ball leads Auburn to 9-7 win at Lipscomb. Auburn had to come away with some big hits at the plate to elevate them to that 9-7 victory. A lot of it, it felt like it was a pass the baton kind of game, especially on the mound when you see five different pitchers get on the bump for Auburn throughout this ball game and try and after Glavin which Glavin gave up most of the ransom for Lipscomb's seven runs he gave up four of those seven after that moment it was it was four guys who were passing the baton on to try and stop the bleeding to try and help Auburn hang on but Auburn ends up winning nine to seven Auburn fell behind early four to one after the second inning the Tigers bounced back with a quick and swift four-run frame and the top of the third so five runs across those first three innings lifted him to a 5-4 lead after the first third of the ball game and then another four-run frame in the fifth inning was where Auburn scoring stopped they had all nine runs after the fifth inning which goes back to what I was just saying across those last four innings of the ball game Auburn's pitching staff had to carry him through so pleasantly impressed pleasantly surprised to see Auburn in a midweek game be able to hold on to something like this it was a pretty windy day up there in Nashville if you sent one out into the outfield it had some carry that was a big part of how Cason Howell got his first career home run at Auburn that ball got some lift on it Cason Howell is not a guy you think about when you're talking about home runs in this lineup and then uh, Lipscomb scoring went one in the fifth and two in the sixth and that was it Auburn shut him out across the final three frames which Richard Fitz played a big part of as well he had two innings pitched getting back on the mound after dealing with some injuries so that's good to see him get some work before this weekend we don't know who the probables are for this weekend don't know if Richard Fitz ends back up in that starting rotation but the fact that he got two innings of work he threw a total of 33 pitches the fact that he got into this ball game and put it on lockdown if he's not a starter, I would imagine he's available from the bullpen this weekend. I can't see a situation that he's at least not available for something. I'm not, you know, not 100% sure if he's going to be on the mound in a starting role, but this is a good sign that we're at least going to see Richard Fitz this weekend, which helps you out. I mean, you're playing Ole Miss. You're playing a very, very good, not just SEC team, a national team. You're playing a top team in this country in baseball. You got to have all the help you can get. It's nice to see that Auburn can win a midweek game. They traditionally struggle with that. So it's good they to see. They haven't lost a midweek game yet this year. I know, and that's good. Traditionally, Last they, year, they were losing all the midweek I'm, games. Yeah, Wofford. Traditionally, they're losing those games, but now you're seeing them at least be able to come through and win. It's good to see they got the bats going going into the weekend. It's good to see that they showed a little bit of you know resilience. They, they did not falter in the face of adversity. They could have mailed this one in. They were down early to Lipscomb. You know, they have got- that four run frame in the bottom of the second for Lipscomb, and you're down 4 1. You're right on. You could have seen Auburn's bats Just go I- cold. You're on the road. Yep. This was not supposed to be a six hour road trip to Nashville. This was, you know, this isn't even the most important game of the week. You're 100%. The bats could have died right there, but they didn't. They showed right back up at the top of the third. They got angry at the plate, had two four run frames. All the way through that fifth inning, so good that, for Auburn. That makes me happy, and you hit it on it best. They, they were not expecting this six-hour trip to go up to mm-hmm. Nashville. This game was supposed to be here 
you know, supposed to be at Plainsman Park, and you're just sitting you got there. Those, you got that news late on Monday that they were yeah. going to be headed to wasn't, Nashville. Wasn't necessarily expected, and then, you know, Glavin gets kind of gets kind of beat up, you know, in the second inning. They get four runs, like you said, and I would not have – what's the word I'm looking for? I wouldn't have been shocked had Auburn just kind of mailed it in and said, look, not our day, whatever. We got Ole Miss this weekend, but I like that they didn't. I really like that they said, hey – we want to win games. We don't care about lying down. We're not trying to look forward to the weekend over a Lipscomb. Let's come out here. Let's get the bats going for once. Let's get these consistent bats going, and let's just take care of business. TCB, roll into the weekend with Uncle Mo on our side, and we'll see how we can do it from there. Peyton Glavin's day ended after one and a third innings pitched. He gave up two hits, had four earned runs allowed. He walked two batters, had a strikeout. And uh, he faced a total of nine batters, still gave still gave up the four runs, four earned runs total. So four of his runs were all earned. Glavin ran into trouble in that second inning with control. He started walking some batters, juiced up the bases, and then a big hit ended up plating all of those runs there in that inning, in the, in the second inning for Lipscomb. Glavin, I think we learned the guy's not a starter, at least not yet. That was his first career start for the Tigers in three of his four appearances this season for Auburn, he had not allowed a run. He only had one game that was less than courteous to him because he had a two ERA after three games where he didn't even give up a run, or at least three appearances where he didn't give up a run. So less than courteous, one appearance out of his four, and then this one doesn't go his way either. But I imagine Glavin will still be a solid bullpen piece for Auburn. See, here's the thing. Auburn's going to get back Jack Owen, Richard Fitz, Greenhill's already back. Auburn's going to get back some guys who have gotten nicked up here early in the season. And then Glavin is going to fall deeper into the bullpen. I think it's a good thing for Glavin's numbers this year to still have known going into this ballgame that he hadn't given up a run three of his first four appearances of this season. I know this one didn't go his way. I'm not worried about it too much because I think this this is one of your, your bottom-end rotation guys that you're going to throw out of the bullpen, and I think he's been just fine all year long. So I'm not reading into the fact that he that he struggled out there against Lipscomb. It doesn't have to be good in this like situation. He's not a, he's not a starting pitching or he's not a starting pitcher yet. He's a good bullpen guy, and like you said, that there's about to be a logjam towards the top of this Auburn pitching rotation. You know, as long as injuries can uh, hold up. I think this tells you that Trace Bright's starting on the weekend, though. I agree with that because Trace Bright probably would have been brought out there. If you know he was, if he was, Fitz, st- Owen, and Greenhill were your starting staff on the weekend. Bright pitches in this game, probably. I, I agree with that. Unless they just saw this as an opportunity to see what they have in Peyton Glavin during the midweek. But even then, I think you would rather. I think you would trot out Trace Bright, the guy who has shown more upside in that starting pitching role. You'd rather trot him out there than Peyton Glavin, unless you're just like, hey, let's see what this guy can do. We we've seen what Trace Bright can do. Let's see what this guy can do. But I think Trace Bright's going to be starting this weekend simply for the fact that we did not see him start this game. Yeah, you wonder what that means. I, I think Richard Fitz is possibly going to get back into the rotation. I say possibly. I don't have any inside information on it. I'm just saying he went two innings. He had 33 pitches thrown in this ball game. He went two innings, struck out three, did not give up a hit, did not give up a run. He just had two walks. Love to see him not walk two batters across those two innings, but whatever. Not gonna not gonna get down on the guy or anything like that. He didn't give up a hit and he didn't give up a run. So solid outing out there for for Richard Fitz. I don't know if he's ready to go back to the starting rotation, but 
You know, and maybe you don't want to move Mason Barnett off the weekend with how he's been throwing right now. Maybe you're comfortable still with Mason Barnett on Saturday and Trace Bright on Sunday. But say Richard Fitz is ready to go again and get back into the weekend. I I wouldn't be shocked if if Bright's you know still on Sunday and then Barnett's coming out of the pen. I, I'll I wouldn't. I would be. I think it's more likely that you see Barnett on Sunday, but I agree with that. But I also I don't know if uh, are. Do you feel comfortable putting Richard Fitz back into the starting rotation? It's not that not with the way he's thrown this year. No, I, not, I think it goes poorly. And I that's do not, think so. And that's me taking. That's not an injury thing. That's me just looking at how he has performed this year in general. It's, it's not nothing to do with the injury. It's just he has been underwhelming and underperforming for what Auburn expected out of him at the starting like in, as a starting pitcher. I feel and Ole Miss has some bats. Maybe you feel They're more comfortable. They're one of the best hitting teams in this conference. I mean, you know the dude's got stuff. The dude can pitch. It's just he hasn't done very well doing that as a starter. Maybe you just you know relegate him to a relief role. Maybe that's where he's best suited for in I this rotation. I think he's got rotation. a really solid one-two punch with his first two pitches. I think that that is... That is, that works really well for him. The problem is, as a starting pitcher, and you're having to go through the lineup twice. You got to have something else. You got to have more than that. You got to have yeah. three really good pitches. You know, you'd love to have four. You know, you, you, the the best guys are able to go into an arsenal of you know four really good pitches, and that can help last you. That was what was special about Mize. That was what was special about Burns. That was what was special about Thompson. Those guys had a deep tool bag of pitches that they could go to in different situations. I think it's hard right now for Richard Fitz to get past the lineup the second go round. He can get through it the first, the you know the first three innings or, or the or the first two innings. You know after he's faced the lineup one time, he can get through that. It's the second go round where I think we're seeing him struggle at the moment. I don't know if he's developed his peripheral pitches to the point where he can go another go another run through through the lineup and get him to those full six innings because we haven't seen him do it yet this year. At least against good competition, we haven't seen him do it yet this year. I agree with that. We haven't seen him do it yet this year. You got to have something else. I mean, you got to have some other kind of stuff to really get you through that because. The other direction I was going with this, though, is if Richard Fitz finds his way back into the starting rotation this weekend, Jack Owen may be available out of the bullpen. That's true. That would be another. I mean, that'd be a good thing to see. Which is a good thing for him because he needs to get some work before he gets put back on the bump as a starter. I didn't think about that. That would be a. I feel like that'd be a. But great I don't way. even know if he's ready to go this weekend. That's just that's just us like you know hypothesizing that you know if hypothesizing he is, if he is, is that ready. A word? Hypothesizing is, is a word. Yeah, English. I don't know if I've ever used that word before. I thought I had you on the word list. Mm-mm. Hypothesizing. Hypothesizing is a word. A guy that I'm ashamed that I haven't brought up yet, Smith Station product, Carson Swilling, had a really good day. 3.2 innings pitched, only gave up an earned run. He gave up three hits. He was the one who, who you know stifled the bleeding. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Zach Blackerby with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast with us here on this wonderful Wednesday afternoon. Jury weather, but it is brightening up here in the studio. Zach, how you doing today, my man? It's always a pleasure. I can't believe it. I am on the line with Noah Gardner. Y'all joke with me all the time because I always say something along the lines of, 
you're on the line and y'all say, do you ever just wake up and realize you're on the line with Noah Gardner? Uh, and- you know, I, I, I've been kind of like, you know, in a trance all day. And then you turn those microphones on. We got back from the commercial break and I'm like, bang. Oh my gosh. I'm on the line. <laughs> I am in fact on the line with Noah Gardner. So dude, we got a ton of stuff to talk about. That's right. Spring practice got started on Monday. We've dived into Brian Hartson's press conference in different ways over the last two days. Yesterday, we took highlights of it, clipped them up, and then kind of translated the coach speak, told everybody our reactions to certain highlights throughout the press conference. Monday, we were at 1,000 feet above looking at it. I want to look at it 1,000 feet above here with you. What was a the major theme that you took away from Brian Horson's press conference on Monday when we opened up spring practice? Every time that guy talks, he has the ability, and you kind of wonder if this will fade away once the newness wears off, but... You get the feeling like you, people are hanging on to every single word that this guy says. As far as things that stood out to me, I thought the the whole bit of he's an outside guy. He likes practicing outside. You and I talked about that on Locked on Auburn um, earlier today. But I think that's something that's, that's pretty cool because his approach is, well, it's tougher outside. So let's practice outside. And so I, I think that's cool. And then... Just flat out saying, like, didn't call it a depth chart, but he called it a pecking order in regards to the quarterback position. Bo Nix, then uh, Grant Lloyd, number two. You and I had conversations about that backup quarterback role, what exactly it looks like going into spring. So those are some of the things that, uh, that stood out to me. And you talk about dissecting the coach speak. Not a whole lot of coach speak no. to, to break down yeah. currently. I think we'll get to that point. But as far as what we saw earlier this week, it was kind of refreshing. Why do you think it'll get to be that point with Coach Speak, that is? Um, I think he'll have more information to keep close to his chest. I don't think he really knows what's important and what's not right now as far as the strengths and weaknesses and the function of this team. I think he can flat out say, like, hey, here's what the quarterback depth chart is going into it because I don't think he's really been able to interact with these guys in a practice setting before. I don't think he knows. So it's like... Here's the obvious thing. Um, as far as, you know, giving us information on how he handles things, like eventually that's not going to be interesting anymore. It's not going to be interesting when he's going into his second season. It's like, oh, yeah, we already knew he liked to practice outside. So <laughs> I, I think some of these things, the more we learn about Brian Harson, the more it's like, oh, yeah, well, we already knew that. So the newness begins to fade away. Over I think that's time. all it is. I think that's all it is. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just. We're going to learn more about him because his style is just so different than Gus's was. And, or I guess is, you know, he's still coaching. But I I think that's what it comes down to. Brian Matthews asked him a question about the offensive line, specifically about tackle. We've been talking about offensive line on our show today, doing our A-Day depth chart series. And we're going through the offensive line, which is just like wide receiver and some other positions on this Auburn football team. It's got several position battles. I want to zero in here on tackle with you, just like Brian Matthews asked about what's going on at left tackle. How do you think it shakes out? Um, I think I'm really high on these Juco guys that we didn't see last year. I'm really high on Brendan Coffey. I'm really high on Killian Zaire. I think both of those guys have a solid chance to start. And you hear you hear him talking about some of these other guys. I don't think he is going to see Broderius Ham as a tackle because everyone but Gus Malzahn saw him as a guard. And so I think that's going to be something that you have to look at. But Ham's got experience. Ham's got some versatility. So that's going to be a little bit interesting. 
Um, as far as what coffee looks like and as far as what Zaire looks like, there's a lot of stories throughout this week on who gained weight, who looks good, and both those guys are are sitting at about 300 pounds. Uh, Zaire's at 299, I believe, but if it's okay with you, pounds. I'm going to say he's 300 pounds. Maybe if he drinks a glass of water, it'll put him over the edge or something like that. But yeah, so I, I think that's that's kind of what you want. Um, as far as you know, style and things like that, we'll see how Will Friend, the new offensive line coach, works with these kind of guys and Honestly, every offensive line is built a little different, and it's just kind of, you know, what kind of dudes do you want on it? Do you want kind of your more lean and agile guys on the edge, or do you want maulers? You know, and some of that depends on what kind of offense you want to run and, and, and who you have um, on, your, on your roster, and they're kind of limited as far as what they have at the tackle position. So we saw last year not a lot of the newcomers played at all, unless your name was Tank Bigsby or Ladarius Tennyson. And Tennyson only played because Christian Tutt kind of battled a few injuries throughout the season and then had that weird series where he didn't play in the bowl game. Outside of that, none of the newcomers really touched the field. Zevion Capers. That, that's it. And I don't think that means they're not talented. It's just I don't think they were ever really considered to get playing time last year. And now a lot of these newcomers will be considered to get playing time, especially with, you know, last year there was no spring. And uh, also last year, some of these tackles were kind of dealing with, you know, injuries and things like that with Zaire and coffee. So I think, uh, I think they've got a really good chance at it. You bring up Maulers, and you also talk about Brodarius Ham, which I think Brodarius Ham probably fits into that category. You As talk a guard, about how big, 100%. Yeah, and you talk about how big he is. Well, then there are other guards who showed out last season. I felt like Keandre Jones, when he got in, look, we have to understand, this guy was an underclassman. I felt like he played above his weight class as an underclassman last year with Keandre Jones. Brandon Council was Auburn's highest-rated offensive lineman last year. And then Tayshawn Manning also offers up a lot of experience as well at the guard position. If Brodarius Ham isn't a tackle, does this mean he does not start on Auburn's offensive line next season? I think, you know, and it's interesting because Harson is really, he loves Tayshawn Manning. Like, he is all about prop, uh, propping him up. So that's something. And then with Brandon Council, when he is healthy, a healthy Brandon Council, I think is, other than Tank Bigsby and Roger McCreary, I think Brandon Council is the best player at his position on this team. I'm extremely wow. high on Brandon Council. So you get drafted? Yeah, assuming assuming everything's okay injury-wise. A little worrisome that you know he missed the last half of the season with a knee injury, and a lot of people are assuming the reason he's out in spring is a knee, but no, it's a shoulder. It's a different issue altogether. It's like that's a little concerning. I think I'm not a doctor, don't know the you know situations, but you kind of got to look at. It. I think he battled with some injuries also um, when he was at Akron. So I, I think that's something that you've got to look at. Um, but I have a hard time seeing Brodeer's hand not starting. He just looks like a guard to me. And I think if you have, you know, one of these Juco tackles slide in there and maybe Ham wins his job and they want Ham on the field and the strength of this team is guard, so you just go with somebody that can be a big right tackle and you just run tank behind them, maybe that's something that you do. But I think Brandon Council and Broderius Ham will both start on this offensive line next year. Wow. So does that mean Keandre Jones does not make it onto the offensive line then in your eyes? Well, he wasn't a starter last year. Yep. You know, he, he didn't really get playing time until... Until Council went down. Right. And he filled in at right guard. And he did a great job. He did a fantastic job. Unless, you know, we've, we've heard Council getting reps at center. Maybe that's the way to do it. Because I would love to see somebody other than Nick Brahms at center. But 
He's all you've got right now, unless you want to kind of elevate Cam Stutz, and I don't really see that being the path to you know him getting on the field. So see, I see Brahms as a lock on the offensive line, and everything else is just a frontier. And Brandon Council will slot in somewhere. He is going to he's start one of the on guards. the, on the yeah. line, and and I believe he does start at guard. It's, so those two are locks. The other three positions are up for grabs. Uh, I I think you're correct, and it's a shame that Nick Brahms is a lock because that kind of says where Auburn is on the offensive line. Yeah, we talk about how bad tackle has been recruited what about the center position the center position is absolutely abysmal you talk about even before Nick Brahms Caleb Kim I don't think was that great of a center either because he lost half of his playing time to Nick Brahms right? you're right you're right there was this whole you know back and forth on who do you think is better but I mean when you look at like go back and look at his 247 page like it's not bad like he was an all-american he was a four-star guy out of mm-hmm. high school like and it's hard to be a four-star center yeah very it hard. is. It is. And it's just, it just didn't work out. It just didn't pan out. And that's something that we've seen a lot on this offensive line. You've seen it with Troxel. You've seen it with Brahms. And so this is something where it's like you look at some of these young guys and you hope they have a different path to development. Guys like a Garner Langlow. Can they have a path to be a solid starter as a junior? So much so where they get a year under their belt starting and the NFL wants them. That's, that's what you've got to hope for uh, under Will Friend's leadership on the offensive line. With everything you're saying to me, you know what I'm hearing right now? I'm hearing quality depth. I'm hearing guys that started last year that now are going to lose their job, which most people out there may be thinking, well, that's not quality depth. It's like, well, at least they have starting experience in the SEC, which is more than what most teams can say about their backups. If the starting unit is below average, I don't know how quality the depth sure. is. Now, that's if, fair. if you want to say there's not a whole lot of drop-off from, you know, Tayshawn Manning to Keandre Jones, I'm 100% okay with that. I, I agree with that with uh, 100% or, you know, Brendan Coffey or Zaire versus, you know, a guy like Brodarius Ham. Like, I think what sure. I'm trying to get at is there are, as a unit last year, Auburn's offensive line was not good, but... With a shakeup to this unit, and it takes a huge step forward this year. Say one guy goes down with in, with an injury, and, and maybe Tayshawn Manning's the guy that they have to insert in. While Tayshawn Manning didn't look good last year on a unit that was also bad, maybe Tayshawn Manning, the individual with four other offensive linemen around him that are performing well, maybe that elevates his game, and he's better than the average backup that comes in because of his experience. I wonder, because I don't think the issue is athleticism to some extent. And I don't really think the issue is size, especially with you know these weight gains that we've seen this offseason with, with the, what they put out on Monday. But the offensive line just wasn't mean last year. Yeah. It, they had last no... Last year. Yeah, right. <laughs> a but, lot of but, years. You know, just as far as improving from last year to, yeah. you know, to this year. But you, yeah, you're right. It's been an issue for a while. They're not mean. And when they play teams that are meaner than them, the Bamas, the Georgias, the A&Ms, the LSUs, uh, with with the exception of LSU last year, but like they, they got pushed around, even against Northwestern, like they got pushed around, and that's not something you should see. And I don't think that's something you're going to see under Brian Harson because I think that dude is going to make those guys love contact, love pushing other grown men against their will to you know open up holes. And, you know, Tank Bigsby or Devin Barrett or Sean Shivers being able to run behind them. He's a tough guy. Yes. But what is more likely, in your opinion, Noah? What do you think is more likely to happen? Those guys change their mentality or Harson just find other dudes? Because like, I don't know the answer to that. And it's way too early to see, 
But like Keandre Jones, I get that a little bit. Wasn't a starter last year until Council went down. I see it in Council. I don't see it in Broderius Ham yet. I just don't. So does he see that as like, what's more likely? He goes and looks at Brendan Coffey or Killian Dyer to see if they have it? Or does he try to turn Broderius Ham into some mean human being? You know what I mean? And I don't know the answer to that. Here's the answer to your question. These guys will lose their job if they don't change their mentality. So out of necessity, they will have to. And I think I said that on yesterday's show and talking about toughness and guys at these certain position groups that he doesn't know a whole lot about. There's a, and we talked about this specifically about the offensive line, that this is a Wild West group right now. It is a frontier. Every piece of land is up for grabs, right? And everybody, if they haven't realized it yet, that this coaching staff doesn't have an allegiance to these guys, I've said this to you on your podcast, there are still name tags on helmets, man. Like, this guy's still learning players' names in in terms of what they look like on the football field and still learning a lot about these guys. If they haven't realized yet that this guy's not, you know, just going to stick with the same depth chart that the previous guy had, because that got the previous guy fired, right? Mm -hmm. He is changing some things. And if they haven't realized that they're going to have to put their best foot forward and put a lot of effort in, then they're going to lose their job. And that that means that this group on the offensive line, if they don't change that mentality to answer your question, I think he will find someone else to play the position. And you're going to see it on both sides of the trenches. I firmly believe that because that's where there's a lot of open competitions there. And also, I think on the defensive front, like how aggressive, I mean, what was the mentality of Tyron Truesdale last year? I think he certainly underperformed based on what we thought he was going to do going into the year. I've never been impressed with Tyron Truesdale. Really? Never. I, I was impressed with him when he was next to Derek Brown, but like but. a lot but a lot of people could have <laughs> yeah. been, you know? And and I think we realize now when guys like Justin Ferguson, who I know you have on the show, he's he's been waving the you know the Derek Brown flag of like Auburn fans. You don't realize how much of an impact he had. I think we're starting to see that a little bit. On the um, on the defensive line, so I think you're going to see a mentality shift there as well because I think Lee Hunter has it more than Tyron Truesdale, but one is you know 30 years old at this point and the other is a true freshman. So it's just like wh- where where does this balance of experience and SEC presence versus Brian Harson going after his dudes and like he didn't recruit Lee Hunter, but I just have a feeling that like he would have you know what I mean as far as you should have. Yeah, just getting after it. You know what I mean? And so that's um, that's going to be something that's fun to watch. A guy like Dre Butler, who we all thought was going to be a stud instantly day one, or at least I did, and he really didn't play a whole lot. And I think that's something where you got to look at is does he have that mentality? I think he does, based on his Juco tape. I think he does. Malzahn was so glued to experience and continuity at position groups, you were not losing your job. Truesdale's going to have to fight for the for the nose tackle position. I don't think it's just going to be given to him, but I do think he's got a he's got a lead at the nose tackle position, right? Because of the experience and his body's got to yeah. look different than some of those younger guys coming in too. But I'm with you. I've never been impressed with Truesdale. Yeah, if they start in a three four, I'd be shocked if he wasn't the nose tackle. Yeah. If they start in a traditional base three four, uh, absolutely. And then I think when you get into third and long and passing situations, you take him out and maybe put Hunter in or scoot Zakevius Walker in or something like that. There's just no reason why someone that large and that supposedly strong should be getting blocked out of my TV frame. 
as often as he was. It's desire, it's want to, it's aggression, and it's leverage. And he was inconsistent on all of those things last year. And I think he can pull it together because every now and then you'll see him get in the backfield. It's like, wow, that was great. Well, he's got the physical he's got the physical skill set to do it. Now he's got to just, as you said, match that with effort and intensity. Yeah, and, and you could tell he would get tired at times and you know, that first step was inconsistent and you know, the first step on the defensive front is so important, especially when you have a first step and you weigh 320 pounds. Like that, that's a lot of force coming at you real quick. And especially when you're going up against the center, he's got to worry about snapping the ball and his first step. And if he's got to down block you or if he's trying to reach you, and you know, you're you're able to, you know, stalemate him at the line of scrimmage. And I think that kind of impact is going to help Truesdale's game next year because he doesn't have to get penetration. He can just win the line of scrimmage. And that's going to be a big difference as far as what he's able to do. Uh, And he's going to be able to rely more on his size and just natural strength. I mean, this is a guy that they all went live on Instagram Friday night talking about their squat maxes. And (laughs) I'm watching Tate Johnson's IG Live. And uh, somebody came up to Tate Johnson. It was like, yo, Truesdale just squatted 700 pounds. Like, the guy's got it. The guy's got strength. I don't know if he has burst, and I think this 3-4 nose is going to fit him a little bit better. Zach, you mentioned Derek Brown. I just want to say this before we let you get out of here. Okay. Is he the best defensive lineman you've ever seen at Auburn ever? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Then Nick Fairley's right behind him. I think Derek Brown's the best defensive lineman I've ever seen in person. I think he's the best defensive player I've seen in person. Oh. At the, yeah, col- at the college level. I would agree with that. At the college level. I've seen Darrell Revis in many- person. I can't think of too many linebackers or defensive backs in college who I was like, wow, that guy's, that guy's a monster. Devin White was amazing at LSU, but he's, he wasn't as good as Derrick Brown is at, at Auburn. Yeah, that's a fun exercise. Patrick Peterson comes to mind in 2010, even though Cam ran him over in the time that I saw him in person. Look, I once saw Derrick Brown throw an offensive lineman into Joe Burrow for a sack. So, I mean, I, that, that's what I think of all the time when I think of Derrick Brown. And, of course, the the play where he was late to get subbed in against Ole Miss and just that poor, the running back that wide receiver. poor guy, whoever it was that caught Small the pass. Small little skill position player. I mean, just like, <laughs> how unlucky was that dude? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the universe lined up perfectly and said, you know what? I hope you have a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zach, I hope you have a good day, man. Tell Thanks, everybody dude. where they can find your stuff. Of course. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Z Blackerby, and you can check out Locked on Auburn every single morning wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much, bud. Appreciate you, man. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast for joining us in that previous segment. If you missed that segment, uh, be sure to go and check out the podcast wherever you go and find your podcast. We literally only have like a minute here before the end of hour number one. That was a great and long conversation <laughs> with Zach. I enjoyed it. About 20 minutes there of just a wealth of information. Thanks, what was the big takeaway? That's right. What was the big takeaway that you had from that convo with Zach? I like how high he is on like some of the Juco guys that are coming in from the line position. I like that um, a lot because I feel like a lot of people aren't really, I don't feel like it's being talked about They've enough. They've been buried in the depth chart due yeah. to injury. Yeah, we just they, haven't seen him. We haven't seen him, and I like how he brings that up because sometimes with situations like that, especially the offensive line where people do forget names and don't pay attention as much, you know, in terms of that versus a skill position player, 
it's nice to bring that up and bring it in the conversation because oftentimes they get overlooked by fans. So it's nice to hear someone saying, hey, these guys are good. Don't forget about them just because they've been, you know, buried under the depth chart. I think Auburn folks in this Auburn football team as well are going to discover that they actually have more quality depth than they originally thought about the offensive line. Position battles tend to breed that, especially when starters lose their job. You may be thinking, well, they, if they weren't good enough to start, are they really quality depth? Well, they have more experience than most people's backups do in the SEC. And maybe just one player being inserted in there will help the offensive line like not all of them obviously but as a unit if you've got four other guys that are really good surrounding you maybe that makes you better too so that's it for hour number one of on the line we will be bringing it back with hour number two on the other side of this break stay with us we'll be back in just a moment you are on the line live on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you in the studio for hour number two. Hour number one just blew by, my man. It went quick. Blue by like the wind that's whipping outside on this uh, dreary day. I'm just hoping everybody doesn't look like it's windy right now. Uh, It was windy this morning when I left my house. I have this window that's like not fully attached all the way, and when it gets real windy, it just has like this knocking sound all morning long. All I heard get on the interior. All I heard that I'm trying to get out of that home. (laughs) I'm trying to get closer to Auburn. I'm tired of this 30 minute drive to come hang out with you every day. I, love, I, I appreciate love, it though. I love coming to hang out with you every day, but yeah. I'm tired of the drive for it. I want to be closer. Well, it doesn't look like things have gotten too bad right now here in Auburn. It's actually been pretty. It's, it's supposed to be later on, so pretty ever, yeah. tame today here in Auburn. But for all those folks listening on Fox Sports Central Alabama, stay well, stay safe, stay yep. dry. Hope you're doing well up there in the northern part of the state, in the central part of this state. It's north of us, so I should say the central part of this state. But um, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater here with you. We want to hear from you, 334-321-1390. That's the number to call. We're going to continue on with our A-Day depth chart series, talking about the offensive line here for the Auburn Tigers. We've only broke down the center position thus far. It's one of our locks on the offensive line. Now we're getting to another position group that features a lock. Obviously now outside the center position, there are two positions now that we have to say for starters. But I've got three guys in my offensive um in this offensive line spot at guard this is where we'll start this hour off with and then later on before we get out of here today we will break down the tackle position as well once again disclaimer about our a-day depth chart series this is what we're projecting the depth chart to look like going into the spring game coming out of it in the summer we'll redo this it'll probably look different because we're not going to be 100 percent correct on all of these because this coaching staff is is learning this roster still Brian Harson made that very clear on Monday. He is going to put the best guys out there and he's going to fit his game plan around it. And so we are 
we're seeing how that goes throughout spring then we'll know more after we see that spring game and how this group looks at guard the guy that i've got as a lock that when he gets back healthy Brandon Council will be a starter on this offensive line. I agree with that. I think once Brandon Council gets healthy, he's too talented to keep him off the field. I think he is a lock at that guard position. I, I He's got to get healthy. And we hope that, or at least I'm hoping that this doesn't set him back too far with everybody else because it's kind of open season with getting guys in. I do still think he's a lock, but... I don't want anything, maybe like a hiccup in recovery or anything like that, that puts him or too somebody far else just like takes off and takes his position, like maybe like a Tayshawn Manning type of guy. But Someone kind of comes in and just usurps the role from him. With that being said, I think Brandon Council is so good that Auburn still would find a place to put him on this offensive line. Hundred percent, they would find Even if somewhere. It's not at guard. They would find somewhere to slide him in. Either is it guard if it's a tackle position. Also, have a hard time believing that two guards surpass him. That's what it would take. Like, I think there's a chance that Brandon Council, actually, in the depth chart that I have, I have Brandon Council moving over to left guard and usurping Tayshawn Manning's spot. Despite the fact that Brian Harson seems to be high up on Manning, let's see what he looks like on the field now, right? Like, the guy could be a beast in the weight room, but what does he look like on the field? That may change some things about how Brian Harson may feel about Tayshawn Manning. And that's what leans me to feeling like Tayshawn Manning's going to see a lot of playing time because he loves what he's seen at because the the head coach likes what he's seen at he's him. definitely in the running to be yeah, a starter percent just because he's a returning starter just the be, experience you got experience you got the head coach who is you know big on the guy he mentioned him by name in terms of the leaders that have stepped up in the offseason workouts I I wouldn't be surprised if you saw something like Brandon Council Tayshawn Manning at those two guard positions once Brandon Council gets healthy that is but Brandon Council will start on this offensive line. I, I believe that firmly. He is the highest rated offensive lineman returning. He, he was the best offensive lineman by far, and then he gets hurt, and a guy by the name of Keandre Jones steps in at right guard, and he plays fantastically. I do think that we see Brandon Council switch sides on the line from right guard to left guard because I think that's going to make way for the next guy on my depth chart, which is Keandre Jones. I really liked what I saw from Keandre Jones at the tail end of last season and replacing Brandon Council when he went down with injury I thought he performed well for a young guy now you couple that with a little bit more experience with a full offseason you don't get that as a freshman right you don't you just don't get that now he's getting a new coaching staff that's going to invest in him they know they have to invest in the offensive line I feel like he's more of a natural fit at guard than maybe Tayshawn Manning is I know Tayshawn Manning is a guard but what I'm saying is Tayshawn Manning moved from defensive tackle to guard right to off to the offensive side of the ball so he doesn't have a whole lot of experience playing the position for that reason Keandre Jones seems to be to seems to me a more natural fit it seems like he didn't have as hard of a time learning the position with virtually no experience and Manning was starting at the position all year long and he seemed to struggle more than Keandre Jones did when he was inserted into the into the offensive line so for me I think he's a more natural fit than Tayshawn Manning struggled for the majority of the season last year I think he takes a starting spot on this team you got Council at left guard you got Keandre Jones at right guard not only that but front of the program comes on on most Fridays Christian Comente VomerSports.com he's super high up on Keandre Jones I value that opinion I'm going to stick with him on that and say that Keandre Jones is up a starter on this line yeah I mean everything that you just said it also like the fact that he's a sophomore so this is a guy who could come in who I've already been impressed with what you I've see seen from him. You see a big jump, the biggest jump in players' development and their skill set increasing from year one of playing time to year two. 
Yeah, that's obvious. Like, because you're going to go in that first year, you're going to have you know, a couple rookie mistakes. You're going to be a little bit behind on some development traits. This is where we can see what he's got. And he showed he he showed everybody last year that he can play this position when he came in and you know got to play after Brandon Council got injured. I like what I see out of the guy. I I like what um and I really like the youth that this guy brings because if you can develop this guy at this you know at this stage of his career. You could have a guy for the, you know this year plus next year and maybe even another year if he sticks around for a senior season. I like this guy. I think he could end up being a starter, local kid, you know, from Lagrange. So I think he played at Callaway, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or was it? I it, think you're off on that one. He plays. I'll check. As I he he's from the area, if I'm not mistaken. I know he's from like that Lagrange area. I just couldn't remember if it was Troop or Callaway, but um, it's from Hogan'sville, Georgia. Hogan'sville. Oh, that's right outside of Lagrange. Yeah, Hogan'sville is right outside of Lagrange. He did play at how he did play at Callaway. Okay, My yeah. Bad. I don't know how I how did I miss that? I knew he was close to that Lagrange area. Hogan'sville right out there. Three forty one on his twenty four seven sports profile. Oof, that's a that's, monster. That's shouting Mauler at guard too, right? Yeah, I mean that he looks like he's a Mauler at guard, and I want to go back to the point that you made. He looked like he developed faster and more efficiently than Tayshawn Manning did after transitioning from. The defensive line that we talk about, Tayshawn Manning, it seemed that Keandre Jones kind of had a leg up on him, at least in terms of his development. Four star in the 2019 class, number eight guard in that 2019 class. In comparison, talking about natural fit at offensive line, Tayshawn Manning was a low three star defensive tackle. Moved to that side of the ball. Malzahn had a tendency to get guys out of their natural position fits and stick them somewhere where they don't belong. Keandre Jones belongs at this position. I feel like now he finally steps into that role after getting some playing time for the first time in his Auburn career. This is this is going to be a big move for him. So where do you feel that Tayshawn Manning fits into this? Do you, do you think he's going to be a backup guard? I think he's the first guard? guard off the bench, right? Like I think he's the first guy that you, if you have somebody go down with injury, he's the guy that you feel most comfortable with sticking in at that position unless someone way down the line that we're just not considering right now just has a monster spring or something like that but my reasoning for that is Tayshawn Manning was one of the guys that I was talking about at the end of hour number one when I was saying that I think Auburn may have some quality depth that people aren't giving it credit for at the offensive line position this is still the unit that I'm least confident in aside from defensive line those are the two that I'm least confident in going into the football season but I think you may discover that there's actually some quality depth here because and look Tayshawn Manning may have not have been good last year but was Tayshawn Manning not good because the entire unit wasn't good or was he not good because he he legit wasn't good right part of it was because the entire unit wasn't that good Alec Jackson wasn't that good to his left and Nick Brahms wasn't that good to his right right like when both guys on both sides of you aren't very good that probably makes you worse too so if this team can find chemistry on the offensive line from left to right from center both ways right if they can find a good unit and and piece it together then maybe if a guy goes down with an injury and you have to insert one player in he has helped because the two guys that are standing on both sides of them those guys are performing still at a high level right so I think that can help these one-off maybe you just need to be inserted into the ball game because somebody's dealing with an injury I think that helps them get better and Tayshaun Manning possesses experience from a full season of starting that most backups in this league do not possess so that's what I mean by Auburn and people aren't giving this line credit there are a lot of guys that may be about to lose their position maybe like Alec Jackson Alec Jackson we'll talk about the tackle spot he may be about to lose his starting position 
But I'll tell you, his experience on the bench, be, that's it, valuable that's, to me. That's really valuable. And just because they're, they underperformed as starters in the SEC doesn't mean that there aren't, they can't be valuable as backups in the SEC. Sometimes you just need a breather. I mean, sometimes these guys just need to take it, take a play off. They're, they're gas. Maybe they got nicked up on the play. Not like a serious injury, but they I'm just need to I'm not calling these guys beast. I'm just saying that like, yes. they're, they're, they're a nice piece to have coming off the bench yeah, with their good. experience. Especially if some guys just need a blow. They just need to go on side and get a, you know, get a hit of water before they go back in. And you can trust a guy like Tayshawn Manning to come in for a player too easily because he started an entire or he started the SEC schedule. I mean, you know that he's he can come in and play football, will he be leaps and, you know, will it be, how, will he be how better big than is that the guy gap? in front of you? No, but I just need him to yeah. plug the gap. I don't, I don't need him to help the boat cross the water better. I just need to make sure the boat doesn't sink, right? I need to plug the hole. You just need to fix it with Flex Seal, man. That's all you need. You just got to fix it. After a day on the water, I mean, you could, uh, you can do anything. That's the point. I'm not looking to make the boat move quicker or anything like that I'm just I just don't want it to, to sink exactly. I don't want it to sink if I wanted the boat to move quicker and I thought he made the boat move quicker then he would be the starter right I just want to know that he can plug the gap last year if somebody got hurt I was not certain that they would be able to keep the thing from sinking I wasn't sure if they wouldn't just come in and weigh it down to begin with like not even not even try to like halfway stop the leak but I feel like they might even make it worse and they would just be a lead ball or a cannonball sitting on there just sinking it down to the depths and Auburn had a lot of holes on their offensive line that was starting so this is good I think for Auburn that they may discover that hey we may all discover that this offensive line isn't as bad as we all thought it was now last year I said the same thing about the offensive line last year my opinion about the O-line going into the season was look the previous line wasn't that good it was pretty underwhelming this line can't possibly be worse right yeah, I jinxed it. Yeah, it was it worse. Was, it was worse. Yeah. It was worse. You, uh, sometimes you just need to appreciate what you have, man. And there was a good pass blocking line two years ago, but this one not so good. Not at all. So what's the uh, what's the injury outlook on Brandon Council? What we tell tell everybody? What's Carson the, said on Monday that he would expect to get him back at a full strength in the summer. I think that's I think that's kind of the the outlook for him i don't know how operational brandon council is actually going to be he was listed as out for the spring amongst he was listed amongst the players that were listed as out but that that can mean different things for for different guys like some guys could actually be able to maybe do some things out on the side uh while others may not be able to do anything if he's not coming back till summer i assume he's just i assume he's not doing much at all outside of probably just standing there yeah so going into a day who who you got for the guards are you going with keandre jones tayshaun manning for probably with probably with with brandon council out once brandon council comes back i think think, that's his job and that's the thing about the guard spot is the the combination includes council regardless it's either council manning or council jones and i believe what you're looking at is council at left guard keandre jones at right guard but if manning ends up holding on to his spot I think it would be Manning left guard where he played last year and council back where he played last year as well at right guard and Nick Brom stays at center I think I've heard some from some folks too that council may have been taking some snaps at center as well or something like that possibly last year maybe he's got some, a little bit of experience but and you know you talk about some uh, I'm trying to remember like Alex Kozan had like oogles of experience like he could play any he could play he had buku experience you know yeah. that guy could play any any position on the offensive line anyone you wanted to that's that, the kind of lineman you like I mean, that, they could play anywhere makes you wonder if that's brandon council but like i think i'd still like to see brahms at center i think brahms could have a good year this just, year just so you could have council somewhere else on that line to fill in a better gap we'll talk about the tackles later on the show but we when we come back we'll, we'll discuss cam newton's situation in new england
You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, the drive of Bill Cameron, seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's 11 to 6 on your radio dial on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com to be able to listen online. I tease this coming in to this segment here. Some NFL talk here, a former Auburn football player that everybody loves, Cam Newton, finally getting some help in New England. You know, you hear last week that he's getting re-signed by the Patriots. You're like, all right, let's see what they do in free agency. It's good to see he's coming back because talk about a mixed situation, right? Like some news outlets are saying expect him to be back. Some are saying expect him not to be. You just didn't know what to believe in the Cam Newton saga in New England. And guess what? Cam Newton on the way back to New England, and then they get him some help too. The Patriots throwing out dollar bills everywhere. I'm a little, I'm a little less high on some of these signings. I like the tight ends they brought in, Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry. They're great pieces for this. Uh, the receivers, Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, they're not really going to, you know, excite a lot of people. At least they don't excite me that much. I'm starting to why think, not? I just don't like. I, they're not because Patriots fans love this. Who's a, who's a one? Who's a one out of those guys? Yep. That's that's the issue I have with bringing guys in. But like you've got that. now two number one tight ends. You do have two number one tight yep. ends, and they're going to go through what you used to see with Tom Brady with the two tight ends, where you're kind of going through your 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 offense is going to go through their tight ends. And if I'm being honest, I don't think Cam Newton's going to be there yes next year. I think this was I think the reason they re-signed him just after looking at the way they did things was Cam still has this. He he has very good rapport with NFL players. I think they signed Cam to help get them free agents. I really do. I think they were just like, hey, you can come play with Cam Newton. Because do you think he starts then? I think he starts this year. I mean, just think about this. If you're trying to sell Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry to come play for you, and you're not, you don't plan on re-signing Cam next year because at the beginning, at the end of last year, Cam did look spent. Whether that was COVID, whether that was you know uh, arm injuries, because I've defended him and I've said that it looked he never he never looked the same after COVID and he never looked the same towards that end of the year. I think he might have just had some sort of shoulder issues because a lot of balls were going low on him. It just looked like he didn't have it. He was trying to push things that just weren't there at the time. So I don't was, know what happened because he looked amazing in the Seahawks game early in the season. He did. He was making throws that I have never seen Cam Newton th- you know, make yeah. in the NFL. And then something happened. I think whether that was COVID or whether that was an, you know, an injury to maybe a shoulder, maybe a back injury, something that – was affecting his throwing motion. That wasn't just, reported. That wasn't reported. That kept going, and that could have been a thing. And I could be completely wrong, but it just feels like they signed Cam Newton with the notion that he can come play for a year. They can get some of these free agents next year, or you know, this off season, and then next year move on and find a different quarterback. This still the Bills' division. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. This is the Bills' division. They added Emmanuel Sanders, a very good piece. There are uh, links for them to trade for Zach Ertz of the Philadelphia Eagles. Are the Patriots back in the playoffs? They weren't that far this year. When you look at the standings, they were they 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 did not get eliminated as bad as they were at times this year or this previous season. They didn't get eliminated until pretty late in the playoff hunt. They came back a little bit towards the end of the year. Let me uh, just look up something real quick. So they are going to be. I know that they're playing. The way the NFL uh, schedules work, they don't have the, they don't have the full schedule out yet, but they have the teams. The teams you're going to play their locations. Yeah, you're going to play one team. Uh, you're going to play one other 
division. You're going to play one division from the NFC, one, one division, division from the AFC. And then two and then, guys that finish the same record, as, or the same place in their division as you did from somewhere else. And looking at that, they're going to play the NFC South, which you could maybe, Uh-oh. you might could count they could win a game against the Panthers. They could win a game against the Falcons. Honestly, they could win a game I against... I say, uh-oh, though, because Cam's revenge game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that Panthers game, I think that he'll probably win that one, the revenge game. They're also playing the AFC South, if I'm not mistaken, so that one's, you know... Now, the AFC South traditionally pretty bad. You're expecting to te- beat the Texans. They can handle the Tennessee Titans because Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick does really well against his former assistants with Mike Vrabel down there. Uh, they're playing your Browns this year as well. I mean, Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. I never look forward to playing the Patriots in anything. Looking at the schedule, it's not it's not far fetched to say that this is a playoff team, or they could at least make the playoff. Just looking at the schedule alone, I think they could sneak their way into the playoffs. I don't think they can win that division. I think that's the Bills' division right now, especially with the talent they've added in. But I do, I can't. But do they surpass the Dolphins? I think they could. I mean, I think they could surpass the Dolphins. But I mean, they really don't even have to because now you can make. I mean, you can make the playoffs without uh surpassing the Dolphins just depending on how bad the AFC how bad the AFC in totality is if they can make it into they could probably make it into that second or third wild wild card slot likelihood though of three AFC East teams making the playoffs I've seen it before I mean I've seen that's it reserved with, for my division and my division alone yeah I mean I've seen it I, you're talking you're talking North that is you're talking to me from the NFC I mean the yeah. NFC South was consistently putting two and three teams in there almost regularly up until the I mean even this year they had two teams in there so that's just how it is. I'm a. I think talent wise, this should probably be a playoff team. Will they get there? I don't know. It doesn't seem too far fetched. I'm still just, not sold that they're a playoff team. Now they've added just as much money on the defensive side yes. of the ball as they have on the offensive side of the ball, which that's, certainly helps. I think but, that's what's going to keep them in there. I just like their schedule looks a bit favorable. That's that's what kind yeah, of they catch me. some breaks. Yeah, they they catch a couple breaks in the schedule, and that's what happens when you don't make the playoffs or win your division. You get a little bit of an easier schedule. Those two games that say for I instance, know about that. say for instance, the Saints. We're playing the Green Bay Packers and Seattle Seahawks this year instead of you know playing someone like in the second or third round because or the second or third position in their uh conference like the defending Super Bowl Tampa Bay Bucks are going to do so the question that I put on the rundown here to ask you about is does this change your view of the organization better way for me to phrase that because it does change your view of the organization they've gotten better but does it move the needle enough you're it seems like what you're saying is that they've gotten better but not enough yeah, I mean, I think they've gotten better, just not near enough to make to so wow me. So is that me. Cam? To wow me, I, I, I mean, kind of, I think so, but uh, you just don't tr- trust the quarterback position. So then, let me take ba- this to the draft. Then, who are they taking in the draft this year? I don't know if they take a guy this year. I think really? that might be a next year thing. Mac Jones is getting mocked to them if, in several in several mock drafts. I wouldn't be surprised if Mac Jones is there. I feel like they're going to go cornerback here more or less. Like I would like to see a guy like Patrick Sertain, maybe even J.C. Horn, if you're looking at that position. I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you want to go quarterback this draft. If they do, Mac Jones, I think would be an incredible guy to put into that offense. I was talking about that early last season, man. Mac, when when it was evident Mac that Mac fits. Jones yeah. was becoming a beast, and you're like midway through the college football season, I was like, "Well, this is going to happen. He's the next Patriots quarterback. He fits what they do." The problem is the Patriots are so unpredictable in the draft. I can't sit there and go, "Oh yeah, they're going to take Mac Jones. It fits well because they'll draft a guy." Uh, from what was it, St. Reiner in the second round? I can't remember. It was some college that I, if I've never heard of some college, even at the Division Two level, I think you. That's fair. I think you share that same sentiment. If I've never heard of the college, 
it's it's definitely a shot just way out there. And that's been the they problem. better be good or else you wasted your draft pick. Exactly. That's been the problem with the Patriots. They haven't gotten a lot of value out of drafts and even like mid-round free agents. They haven't really done a good job of getting – they've gotten some guys. Like Stephon Gilmore was a high-impact guy. Other than that, I mean, when was the last big-time free agent they got in there? Let's or talk even, about a team then that has done a good job of, at that, and that's your team. I feel like the Saints have done pretty well in the draft. And Oh, yeah, they've been killing in the draft. 2017 draft we just got Trey Hendrickson paid by the Bengals earlier this week Drew Brees announcing his retirement it's been such a packed week with news and the NCAA tournament being around and whatnot yep. we haven't really gotten to talk about this no tears here Levi because I know this hurts you pretty deep but are the Saints a playoff team next year with Jameis Winston at quarterback because didn't they sign him yes they signed yeah. him uh, 10 mil uh 10 mil 14 somewhere mil, around something. There, yeah. 12 mil it was somewhere around in that area um again the same sentiment that i share with the patriots i share with the saints i think the saints have a better roster in totality they lost a lot of depth just because they had to make cap casualties a little bit more than they probably would have done had the salary cap not shrank this year because of loss of revenue and stuff like that but i like what their i like their schedule the way it looks i mean they could easily go in my opinion, four yeah, and two. They get to play the Falcons and the Panthers. Yeah, they could go four and two in the division. I'm not so sold. I'm not sold that the Buccaneers are going to be this monster that I think people are perceiving them to be. Because you look at it, they were a few plays away from getting beat by Taylor Heineke. They were, you know, Drew Brees' arm not falling yeah, off in that, that game. Yeah, that was from last year. Now he's now he's in, now he's in year two. Now he's more comfortable because I think what we saw a lot of times last year with the Bucks when they were they had two lean periods where they were they struggled at two different points last year and they were hot at every other location. And you saw when they were hot, like how good the Buccaneers could be. But at the same time, when things weren't working well, you're like, all right, something's just not clicking right now schematically. Something's not clicking right now with the game plan. Because remember, we talked about it multiple points last year. There was there were people saying that that they weren't using Tom Brady correctly, and that oh, yeah. and there became you know blaming going around. You know, is it Tom Brady's fault? Is it is it Bruce Arians' fault? I mean, there were multiple points where people were saying, well, they're just not using Tom Brady correctly, you know. And it's like, well, maybe they're just trying to figure out how all of this just meshes together. Because when you see how many different players came into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization that were all of a sudden expected to become key contributors you're bound to have like issues gelling together with chemistry and also learning a new playbook Tom Brady was still learning that man another offseason the guy's back to work he's he's off his boat like this is I don't, a, I don't think a big that, deal I don't think that has some, as much to do with it as a lot of people think I don't think it's the whole like having to gel thing I think they just struggle with teams with good defensive linemen or a good defensive line if you can get pressure on them without having to bring extra guys that's where Tom Brady has always struggled in his career and you look at it, the Bears, the Saints, teams that beat them throughout the year that had that good presence. And I I can see that the Chiefs game where they lost. I, I don't know what happened in that one. That one was weird. Chiefs didn't have much of a defensive presence. It's just Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes, which he wasn't in the Super Bowl. But going back to that thing about uh, the Saints being a playoff team, their schedule, it's a little tough, but it's also kind of semi-favorable I could see them finishing somewhere in the realm of like eight and eight ten and six just looking at the talent that this team has I think they're a much more talented team than the Patriots I think people are sleeping on Jameis Winston as a starter they love him he's been under Drew Brees for a year I think he cuts down to turnovers you got good receivers to throw to dude if Drew Brees excuse me not Drew Brees if Jameis Winston cuts down the turnovers he is Drew Brees I mean yeah like the dude threw for 5,000 yards in a season of 30 touchdowns if you take away the turnovers Jameis Winston becomes you know like he could he could take you to a Super Bowl. So easy. We'll take you to the final thirty minutes of on the line here. Stay with us on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama.
Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Last 30 minutes of On the Line. Noah Garner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Good show today so far. We're going to keep it rolling here as we're 30 minutes out from the drive with Bill Cameron. We've been doing our A-Day depth chart series here, and today it's the Offensive Lines Day. It's our last day of the offense, and then we'll be headed towards the defense for the remainder of this depth chart series. Projecting the depth chart going into the spring, we'll do it again during the summer, so a lot of this is subject to change after what we see on A-Day. We've been doing this one day a week here on the lead-up to April 17th for the A-Day game. We're a month out. We are a month out, guys. That's great. Wait, hold I'm on. Excited. Are we like we're legit a month out? Yeah, Today's yeah, March seventeenth. St. Patrick's Day. Wow. I'm, st- I'm still gonna pinch y'all. Y'all just wait. Nah, I've got my Pringles over here. That's green. Sting, I'm coming for you. That's right. He's gonna come across the table. Sting behind the board. Appreciate you, man. Eight A depth chart series here. Let's get on to uh the offensive tackle position. We saved the most controversial for last, or possibly the worst position for Auburn for last and um, the left tackle position up in the air I think the right tackle position is probably a little bit more secure that's why I've got Brodarius Ham at the right tackle position locked in Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast joined us earlier in the show if you missed that conversation or if you ever miss the show go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast and Zach was saying that he didn't see Brodarius Ham as a tackle I, I'm going to jump out on a limb with Zach when I talk about the, the left tackle position, but I'm going to split it right here. I'm going to say that Ham stays at right tackle. I've been, I've I've liked Broderius Ham at right tackle, mainly as a run blocker. Maybe that's what I like most out of my out of my right tackle. I, I, don't, I don't view the right tackle position. At, at, look, I understand. Maybe I've just been... Maybe I've just been spoiled by Gus Malzahn or not spoiled. I, I don't know. Maybe I've been brainwashed by Gus Malzahn over the past seven, eight seasons because I feel like Malzahn liked the right tackle position as a mauler, as a run blocker, not necessarily as a pass protector. I, I didn't see that with this Auburn offensive line. And some some people's philosophy is that the right tackle position is like an extra, it's kind of like an extra or larger guard, you know, a little bit. It looks like a tackle, could play tackle, but they still have guard tendencies. That's what I think we see with Brodarius Ham. I like him a lot in the run blocking game. Question is, how Harson will view him as an offensive lineman. That was what Zach hit on. I think he's the best returning starter at tackle, so I think that's why he gets there. I, th- I think his experience, that's going to put him at the top of the depth chart going into the spring. I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. I think he's the best returning starter that Auburn has. He's the guy that you... He's better than Alec Jackson. 100%. I think he's better than Alec Jackson. He comes in, I mean... Let me let me bring this. He's 6'6", 334 pounds. Man. I have a hard time imagining this offensive line without Broderius Ham. Without just, someone that big and can do the things that he can with his weight. Like he still moves pretty good for a big guy. Yeah, I mean he's got a lot of mobility at his size, 6'6", 334. That's it's hard to be mobile around that size, and he does it pretty well. I, I think, think he's one of the meanest guys on the offensive line, too. Zach was talking about this offensive line not being mean. And that's this a mean guy's guy. Mean. Yeah, that's a mean guy. I think he's going to slot in very well at probably that right tackle position. I don't think he makes it to left tackle. I mean, he, may, he might just based off of do you trust him a little bit more at the left tackle position? But I don't. I don't know about his pass protection or his pass blocking for that left tackle position. That's what kind of scares me. That's why I think he stays at right tackle. Yeah, I don't think there's a chance he moves to left tackle. I don't. I, Nothing I don't think so either. Darius Ham says left tackle. Yeah, that's what me. I'm saying. It just doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't think he's athletic enough to play the position. I think the only reason he'd end up there is if they just absolutely flat out could not find someone that they oh, trusted enough. I think there's enough. no chance. I don't think. I mean, I don't think so. The only chance. Yeah, that, I wouldn't even say that they're like. 
I, I don't even see a world where that occurs. I'd say point one. If it just the injury just absolutely devastates everybody, like dude, like you four gotta or five go. guys would have to it go was down, like, man. Dude, you got to go over there, man. I'm sorry, you got to go play out of position. Well, then let's talk about the left tackle position because I've got oars here, and I've I've used oars once on this. Well, not really. I I was talking about the guard positions. There were there were a couple of different ways that guard could go, but I, I told you which one I predicted. This is where I don't know what to do. I will jump out there with Zach and say that there's a shakeup at left tackle because I I just don't think Alec Jackson's got it over at left tackle no so I will go there with him and say Austin Troxel or Killian Zaire I'm going to jump out there and say that one of those two guys will end up starting at left tackle I'm feeling a little bit closer on Troxel than I am on Zaire both of those guys have dealt with injuries over the last two years to their lower body that's not exactly what you want to hear when you're talking about the left tackle position or any position so we haven't seen them that much we don't know a whole lot about them actually in terms of them being on the field but we know about their potential everybody has talked about them in hushed tones like these guys are going to be really good offensive linemen one day and I keep thinking to myself every year because you hear the same things about Austin Troxel over here that man that guy's going to be really good it's like well when because uh, every year I hear it now we're at the end of his career or towards the end of his career we still haven't seen it we know about these guys potential I think their potential is much higher than Alec Jackson who has moved over from the defensive side of the ball we talked about natural fit at offensive line when we were discussing Keandre Jones versus Tayshawn Manning I think that's the situation here Austin Troxel and Killian Zaire are more natural fits at the tackle position especially left tackle than maybe Alec Jackson is so where do you see Alec Jackson slide now do you see him third stringer I can see that I should say third stringer he's the He's the backup left tackle, but on this depth chart, I, I ordered it differently. My bad. No, Not no, no, third that's trigger. A, he's yeah. the backup left tackle. That makes sense. Backup left tackle. I I don't see it out of Alec Jackson. I'm going to agree with you on that. I'm going to lean Troxwell just because he's a senior, and I feel like they might trust that a little bit more. They Maybe they want a veteran leadership type of guy out of that position at the left tackle. This one's hard. I, I struggle. I struggle with this one. I'll be honest. I looked up and down with these. With yeah, I mean, these this guys. is different than guard, right? Because at least we saw Keandre Jones play last year, and you think, wow, that guy did pretty good. And then you've got Brandon Council, who did really well last year at and tackle. Nobody, nobody really played well. Nobody played well. I, I like, and I don't think this happens this year. And this is not something that's going into a day. Just this is just something that's on my mind. I like the kid they brought in in the recruiting uh colby smith if i'm not mistaken the dude who's like but he's not here right now no, that's what i'm saying this has nothing to do with a day i would not be surprised if maybe it, if he performs well at some point in this year he Movers gets into a backup spot and get some playing get time. some playing time and then i think he could probably be a beast later on the next year it wouldn't happen this year but i think it's wide open for him at his stature and his size going into a day though to you know continue what we're actually doing man i i'm gonna lean with troxwell but uh or troxwell i just don't know uh I just don't really know because none of these guys scream to me, hey, start me at left tackle. None of them scream that no, to I me. No, I don't know how you look at film of the left side of the offensive line and, and think, well, and, and that because, doesn't need to be changed. Nobody, don't you, don't look at the, you. you don't look at any of these guys and go, mm. I'm confident with you being my starting left tackle. You're just Or not. left guard. That's yeah. why on my offensive line, left to right, I'll just go ahead and say it. I've got Troxel, then I've got Brandon Council, then Nick Brahms at center, right guard Keandre Jones and then right tackle Broderius Ham. I think the right side of the offensive line was fine fine, but I think you siphon off and and you bring one of your best players from that right side put on the left side to shore that up because that's that's more important to me at this moment I don't know how you look like I said I don't know how you look at the left side of the offensive line and think that that's not a problem (laughs) and and that it doesn't need to be fixed I I think the thing that should go through your mind is like 
that's that's a problem area and this needs to be fixed how can we fix it I think you fix it by seeing Auburn move Brandon Council from right guard to left guard Tayshawn Manning moves into a backup role Alec Jackson moves into a backup role as well and one of the other guys that were buried a little bit deeper on the depth chart they move into that spot at left tackle but you never know maybe maybe guys developments just jump off the charts over here in the spring maybe something clicks maybe maybe for Alec Jackson and Tayshawn Manning it wasn't clicking with the previous coaching staff but it could click with this coaching staff you just never know how players are going to react to their coaching situations to a new position coach with how they're delivering their delivering their message you know maybe something occurs to the coaching staff and maybe the previous coaching staff didn't see I don't know but that's the way I see the offensive line right now going into spring but I easily think that this was we talked about receiver being very difficult to predict same as tight end the offensive line is very difficult to predict as well I think all you can say is that Brandon Council will be somewhere on your line and Nick Brahms is going to start at center I feel very confident that that will occur but for you wrapping this discussion up is this the least confident position group you're you like is this like when you're talking about this because we we a couple of shows ago we did which position group are you most confident in yeah is this the least confident position group you've got on the entire Auburn football team or is it the defensive line because I think those are it's, the two you've said yeah I say it's one of these two I'm going to go I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to say the offensive line, just because the defensive line... It's shown more flashes. It's shown more flashes, and they can get bailed out. They can get bailed out by the defensive backs they have in pass, in, uh, you know, in pass protection and what are past defense. I can also say names who like stepped up at different points last year and showed flashes, like Zykevious Walker right. showed yep. some things. Truesdale's got to be harboring some type of potential in his, in his giant yeah. athletic frame. I feel, right? like he's, I feel like he's going to have a good year this year. I, and so. I like I like his I like the potential that the defensive line has better than, or maybe not the potential, but I like what they've shown me already. They've at least put it on the field in flashes. Like the and, LSU game, they tore it up. Yeah, and even if they even if they're not as great as you would think like even if they play worse in the offensive line they can get bailed out linebackers can help stop the run you've got a very good defensive backfield at Auburn that can help them if they're not quite getting a pass rush because they can maybe cover a little bit longer than you expect if the offensive line isn't performing and they're performing you know poorly everybody's going to see it because everybody's already looking you know through the magnifying glass of Bo Nix and not staying in the pocket so if they're not pass protecting him they're already going to go, oh, the offensive line's the worst. This is why we're losing games. And it's going to just keep piling on. And once that starts happening, then you kind of see the snowball effect where they just get worse and worse throughout the year. With that being said, though, a side point here before we head to break about this offensive line, wrapping it up right here. A, I've talked about there might be more quality depth here than people are giving it credit for. Just watch out and see how that develops. But then B... I think that this is the position group where players have the most opportunity to change their depth chart stature than where they've been in the past because Malzahn buried guys on the offensive line and there was no hope because he was going to lean on experience and experience alone. That guy was scared of his own shadow. He didn't care if you were good. (laughs) He was scared of his own shadow on certain certain factors when you were talking about your football team. And if you weren't experienced, that was one of the things he was scared of. This offensive line guys that have not gotten experience yet Troxel and then those Juco guys like Zaire Brendan Coffey coming in there are just guys that have been buried up to this point that will receive a lot of opportunity this spring due to injuries to Brandon Council and just general shakeup. everybody's got to earn their job there's major opportunity here on the offensive line and that may be great for Auburn moving forward so we wrap up the show here on the other side of this break stay with us on on the line On
On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Last segment of On the Line here on your Wednesday afternoon. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Number to call 334-321-1390. Before we wrap up On the Line here, we are about 10 minutes away from the drive with Bill Cameron. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's Wednesday and that means The Masked Singer is on Fox at 7. It's the second group of costume celebrities as Group B takes the stage. Try to figure out these hidden talents of mystery performers. Game of Talents is on Fox at 8. Some movie selections for tonight. The Green Mile is on AMC at 7. Over on Freeform at 7 as well. Go back to where it all started with Shrek just trying to get a swamp back. A pair of comedies on Paramount, Old School at 6 and Forgetting Sarah Marshall at 8. It's not the NCAA Tournament but the NIT does get started tonight on ESPN2 with a pair of two and three seeds battling it out. Toledo versus Richmond at six, and then following it at eight, Western Kentucky at St. Mary's. Wednesday night, NBA basketball is on ESPN with two games at six. Eastern Conference foes and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers will face off at 8.30. Send it out west to Dallas with the Clippers taking on the Mavericks. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. About six minutes left in the show here. The ESPN 106.7 Basketball Mayhem Contest has one million reasons for you to enter. Correctly predict every game of the men's basketball tournament and you could win $1 million. Register now at ESPNAU.com. If you don't win the million, the closest to perfection wins a 50-inch smart TV from Rick's Audio, Video, and Appliance. Basketball Mayhem is presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Tzatziki's Mediterranean Cafe, Brubaker Motors at ESPN 1067. Hurry, deadline to sign up is this Thursday night. See rules for all our contests at ESPNAU.com. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, that's how we'll round out our show here with uh, with some more NCAA tournament conversations. You and I have said all week that we're, we're not picking our bracket yet. You know, most people got their bracket on Sunday and immediately start filling it out, and they've probably filled out 10 or 15 more since then, and they've probably put them in, unless you're one of those people out there that only does one which is also cool i respect that game i was that person for I, a really long time i don't know, I'm how, not you that, I don't I'm know not, how you can do it i'm not that person now like I, I actually this is the first year that i'll actually be filling out more than one and i like it just because you know what i was like you know what loosen up man let's, let's don't be so tight like just loosen up let's go and uh let's fill out multiple brackets because it's fun to do it right and then i'll have one that i care more about than the others and and today I've a been, legitimate one that you actually picked didn't, didn't yeah that coin i didn't flip. flip a coin yeah, yeah stuff like that but i didn't talk about mascot fights for but uh this bracket that i've been working on today that uh at least during the show has been when i've been doing it during breaks this is my upset bracket, and this is a legitimate strategy. I'm going to care about this bracket. I don't know if this is going to be the one that I care about the most, but if you go and look at percentages of upsets happening over time, all right, and, I, and I'm on a USA Today article right now that actually has this broken down really nicely. That was written yesterday, actually. Jim Sergent of USA Today wrote this story, NCAA tournament bracket by the numbers, historical trends from March Madness. You can always find stories like this every year about the NCAA tournament. But it breaks down the percentages over the last 35 NCAA tournaments from 1985 to 2019 of the win percentage for the higher seed. All right. And so I've reversed that. I said, all right, what's the likelihood of these last 35? What's the probability that an upset occurs? And so my approach is based on the percentage chance over the last 35 years that an upset has occurred at that seed line that will dictate 
how many upsets I pick on that seed line, and I just pick the one that I think is the most likely. So odds are an upset is not going to happen, of course, on the one or two lines. So I put all my ones and twos across. You, about every other tournament, a three seed falls. I'm opting to go with no three seeds going down because I like the likelihood of having my three seeds go all the way. I I would rather have all of my three seeds than see one get eliminated because what's the likelihood of a 14 going all the way to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight? It's not that likely. So I would rather have the chance of having all of my threes in the bracket going into the round of 32 so that I can keep my options open for the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight or Final Four selections if a three seed were to go that far. So I'm not going to knock out any threes either. Now I'm onto the four line, which that's where it begins to become a little bit more likely that upsets occur. It's about uh, 0.8 four seeds every year go down to the NCAA tournament. So it's a little bit more than every other year. It was close enough to one a year to where I was like, all right, I'll take one four down. And I, I settled on North Texas knocking off Purdue in the 13-4 matchup. A big part of that is the Conference USA's history in the NCAA tournament. A big credit to that, a big you know tip of the cap to the UAB Blazers. They've got a nice history in pulling some upsets over the years. So that's a big tip of the cap there. I like how Conference USA teams... Conference USA may not... The Conference USA is a mid-major tier, but it's it kind of feels like a step above the other mid-majors. I agree with that. It's like it's a little bit better than some of the other mid-majors that are out there. And uh, this Purdue team has built its resume on beating some subpar Big Ten schools too, like Penn State and Nebraska. So I, I'm going to take North Texas. I've looked. I'm not going to bore people with some of the stats that I looked into it too. I like this North Texas team. They can pop a three. Sometimes that's the great equalizer. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna ride with it. I, I'll pick two. I'll pick two different ones. How about that? Go with, for it. With no stats. I won't bore you with stats. Obviously, Florida State's going to get beat by UNC Greensboro. <laughs> I don't like that one because Greensboro only has one good player. How many good players does Florida State have? Name one. Uh, one. Exactly. Fair Fraud. Enough. You can't name one. Other than that, I would not I would not be surprised to see Virginia go down just because it's Virginia. I was stumped on Virginia for a little bit. They play that When they play the slow style of pace, like this slow pace of play. There we go. There's words. Uh, yeah, there you go. There's words. Um, once you uh, once you have that in the tournament, you can see that a lot of these teams that play slower, they tend to get upset a lot. That's what kind of scares me with well, Villanova and Winthrop outside of the fact that, I mean, obviously different seed lines, but Sting also brought up across the break, they're without Gillespie at point guard, so that kind of hurts them as well. Villanova's the team without Gillespie. Yes, yep. yes. that's what I was talking about. Villanova oh, okay. doesn't have them, and that's just another slow team that Villanova's played ah. really slow this year as yeah. well. That's they what I was saying. Do. They've been playing slow, and you could see them getting upset by, by, a, team Winthrop. Like, by a team like Winthrop. But uh, how about this one? I'll give you an easy upset right here. A nine beats an eight, and then the nine beats the one. Bzzz. Ah, I can't get there with GT Bzzz. beating Illinois. I like that Illinois Jose, team too much. Ah, Jose Alvarado is a beast. Veteran guard play across the board. Tenacious defense. It's going to be you a fun Moses 9-1 right. matchup. It Mo- will be if it occurs. I, I like that, Loyola they, a lot. I they still got to get past Loyola. I like both those yeah. two teams. I hate that those two teams have to play each other I would and rather then have to see, play Illinois. You know I'd rather see Loyola Chicago play Illinois? In-state battle, my man. Small school from Chicago taking on Illinois. The school of Illinois out in Champaign. I just I hate that these three teams have to play each other because I like I want to see these three teams go far. But I like what I saw out of Loyola Chicago. I love Georgia Tech. I mean, they won what like nine straight, eight straight to finish off the year. And then you have Illinois, who, in my opinion, hottest team in the country right now outside of what Gonzaga. And look, fate would be on your side. Nine seeds have a better win percentage in the eight nine matchup than the eight seed does. Nine seeds have won more games than the eight seed over over that time period. So is it really an upset at that point? <laughs> it's kind of like the eight seeds the upset. So maybe I should pick 
well, I'm going to split it there when when I do get to that point. I'm going to pick two eights and two nines. But yeah, another one that I like a lot on here. If you're if you're fishing for upsets in your bracket, I like Liberty as the 13 over Oklahoma State at the four, mainly because I'm not super attracted to Oklahoma State's brand of defense. It's not that good. This Liberty team is not a stranger to the tournament. They were in it last year, played Mississippi State, or two years ago, that is, played Mississippi State in the 12-5 matchup. A lot of folks like that upset. I wasn't there on it, but this Liberty team's not half bad. You know, you know, you're not a bad team when you're 23 and five. No. Good offensive team. They're a good defensive team too, but I have a hard time with them because they play in a really bad conference. So I still went with Oklahoma State. But that's it for another edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron following us here from four to six. Stay with us. We'll be back with you tomorrow. You know where to find us. 